Welcome to the Banyan Edge Podcast. Here's your host, Charles Sizemore. Welcome. I'm Charles Sizemore, host of the Banyan Edge Podcast, America's number one source for a smarter, safer, more profitable investing. And our theme today is China is screwed. So if I may be a little bit vulgar here, uh, this is not a political statement. It's not an economic statement. Uh, if China were having issues due to political or economic reasons, these are issues that possibly have solutions. Uh, China's problem is demographic, and there's no clear solution to that problem. Last year, China's population shrank by 850,000 people. That is roughly the population of Indianapolis, Indiana. That's as if that entire city just vanished from the population. Over the next, well, over the next roughly 30 years, uh, China's population is expected to decline by 100 million to 200 million people per the United Nations most recent estimates. That is roughly the population of a Brazil or a Mexico just gone from their population, just disappeared. So this creates all sorts of interesting problems. It creates supply problems. How are you going to man factories of the future if the people that were that, that would have been your workers were just never born? How and it's been on also on the demand side. How are you going to sell more Starbucks lattes or iPhones or Nikes or whatever when there's fewer people alive to buy them? There's all sorts of implications here. And to help me sort all of this out, I have brought on our resident macro expert, Mr. Ian King. Welcome. Thanks, Charles. Good to see you. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you on. And you're you're sort of our in-house China expert these days. You've written a lot about some of the issues China faces some of the trends going on there. I know that you saw the same headlines I did about China's population. You know, what's, what's your take on that? You know, how, how, how are you viewing this? Well, you know, it, it starts with the idea that China instituted in 1980, the one child uh, policy, which, which basically that most families were only allowed to have one child. Um, and especially if you had a girl, you had to stop having children. And you and I have discussed this, that it has, not only implications on the whole generation, one of the reasons why fertility rates are so low, it's that 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 families that had, let's say you had a daughter born first, you weren't allowed to have more kids. So many women that were born in the 1980s, 1990s grew up in basically single family households. And that meant that all the resources in the family were devoted to, or to the daughter, to this one child. Um, and it's led to a mismatch across the entire population of higher education rates for women in China versus men. And now what we're seeing in this generation is that women don't want to marry down, right? If you're a highly educated Chinese woman, you don't want to marry a male with a lower education status. A bus so, driver or something, yeah. Right. So, the, the, so the, the household formation numbers are lower, which is adding to more of the problem, is compounding the issue that they already have. Uh, going forward. But you know, what's interesting about that, Ian, is you know, they relaxed the one-child policy a couple of years, several years ago, and then they relaxed it further. They went from the one-child policy to the two-child policy. They went from the two-child policy to the three-child policy, and it hasn't moved the needle. Like, the Chinese couples are not having more kids, or at least you know, some are, I'm sure, but like, it's not showing up in the macro data. Like, they're, they're, not, they're not responding to this, this newfound freedom by having more kids. Right. And, and it's not just a population in China. So let's be clear. China's economic growth model has been built on the idea that you can repress savers in the financial system. So households get a lower rate of return in the money they have at the bank 
And they do this in order to subsidize industry and, and corporate growth. And it's basically a supply side model. So most of the economic growth in China is you know, driven by building up the manufacturing industry, creating uh, goods that they can export to the rest of the world. On top of that, they've also built all these cities, and I'm sure you've seen the videos of the ghost cities where nobody lives, and you know, then they take down this. So they have not had the full development of the household sector uh, like other countries have in their development. The household sector is way behind, and that's one of the reasons why families don't choose to have more children, even under this new policy, because they don't have the resources to raise more children like you do in the rest of the the, the developing world, and I just want to close this point by saying, okay, so you're saying that we're going to have a labor problem in China because we're going to have less people. There's a big demographic shift. We're not going to have enough people in manufacturing. What I believe is that this shifts the battle to artificial intelligence supremacy and robotics and automation. And, and because instead of having, you know, a hundred workers in a plant, you can now have 10 workers that are just manning and monitoring, you know, the robots that are that are replacing the humans. And I think that in this decade, we're just going to see a tremendous growth and acceleration of automation, especially in the manufacturing sector. Yeah, they, they don't have a choice. And China's leaders, um, they're not stupid people. Like they, they, they know, like they have access to this data. They know the problems they face. They know that that huge pool of labor that came from the countryside into the cities, they know it's used up, it's done. Yeah, the, the average age of a rural worker in China is over 40 now. If you're over 40, you're not going to move to the city. Like, like you're done. Like you're set in your life. You're, you're wherever you're going to be in life, you're you're on that path. You're not going to radically shake up your life when you're over over 40. Like it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And it, I, you're you're right. I I think that um, the only path forward for them is is automation. Like that's it. And where this gets fun is is this actually ties in to, to something that you've been following for a while now. You had this concept of the, of the fourth convergence. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't you refresh our memory? I mean, what is that? What's going on there? And what are the implications, not just for China but for the U.S. as well? Sure. So a convergence is basically when a technological breakthrough occurs, and then you get a convergence of uh, venture capital investment in on the private side and also the public side. And in the stock market, it's led to just incredible returns. You know, an example of that was basically the dot com boom back in in two thousand. Um, I believe in the chip sector, there is a convergence happening right now, and the reason for that is. The most important commodity in the world right now are advanced semiconductor chips, right? I mean, because these are the chips that are powering these data centers that are creating artificial intelligence that are going to lead to all types of impact on industries that we haven't really fathomed yet. And what the U.S. is doing is basically subsidizing chip development in the United States. So the problem is that 90% of advanced semiconductors are made in one place, and that's Taiwan. And what we need to do is start creating a new industry here in the US. It's not going to happen overnight. It's probably going to take 5, 10 years to catch up to, to Taiwanese production. But we need to get it away from a country that China still thinks it owns. Well, because... you know about that. Do you think some of China's recent, you know, kind of for lack of better words, belligerence, you know, China has been much more assertive lately. They've been much more kind of aggressive towards Taiwan. 
Do you think it, it's it, it's about the chips? Do you, do you think China is you know, China's always been aggressive towards Taiwan? That's not new, but like they, they've amped it up lately. And do you think it's over access to the chips? Like, do you think that's a factor? Oh, 100%. I mean, we have stopped allowing China to access the types of GPUs, which are a specific type of, of chip that they need in order to create data centers for artificial intelligence, right? We're, we're stopping them from producing, uh, especially on the military side, the, the highest end types of applications uh, because you know we wanna make sure that we assert military supremacy. And it reminds me a lot about similar to what happened in the Cold War, where it was like us versus the Russians in terms of who can be you know, the, the bigger nuclear power. And you know, really everyone says that the Cold War was won because Reagan basically outspent Russia. But when you really when you look at it and you hear the story of what happened was that the US had higher powered semiconductors in the 80s that basically had a capability to track Russian missiles headed towards our shores faster and could respond quicker. And when Russia found that out, actually they just said, you know, there's no way we're going to catch up to them. So I think that the the new age of military is is more of a digital uh military. And obviously there's going to be weapons that are controlled by artificial intelligence algorithms and whatnot. But in order to achieve that type of supremacy that we're looking for, we need to be harness and have you know the capacity to have these super high-end chips that can provide for higher levels of artificial intelligence uh, than our adversaries can. And you know, I believe this chip war is really just getting ramped up right now. It, it, it started maybe a couple of years ago uh, with the Trump administration that has been carried on to the Biden administration. Probably like the one thing that I think both sides of the aisle really agree upon is not letting China have access to higher levels of artificial intelligence before we do. We, we can't agree on much as a country, but we can at least agree on that. That's, <laughs> that seems like one of those uh, basic facts, like the sky is blue, that we should all be able to agree on. But yeah, it's interesting. You know, There's been a lot of talk about demographics in the U.S. because you see help wanted signs everywhere. One of, the, one of the factors driving inflation right now is there just aren't enough bodies to throw at jobs. Um, I do think it's interesting, and, and the solution to that here is, of course, automation, artificial intelligence, everything you've been talking about. What a lot of people aren't discussing is the pressures that we face here. China faces them, you know, probably an order of magnitude higher, like like those same pressures exist in China only more. Mm -hmm. And so that that is going to drive this big trend you're talking about. Um, I think that's, you know, if you if you are looking at one of, you know, kind of the no brainer investment trends of the next generation of the next 10, 20 years. Yeah, I mean, this is it, you know, chips, artificial intelligence, like this is like, this is one of those trends that is happening, <laughs> you know, how it exactly how it unfolds time, you know, there, there will be bumps along the way or whatever, but like this trend is happening, like it is a foregone conclusion, this trend is happening. And, and let me add, it's happening faster than like, we're currently processing, like, I don't think most Americans can actually fathom how fast uh, like chat GPT is growing. And now it's auto GPT. But let me just rewind for a second and just help people understand exactly how these AI models work because they're built on what's called um, reinforcement reinforcement learning from human feedback. And so basically, when they built AI like ChatGPT, they would have human trainers rank responses. So it would ask the the AI a question, and if it if it did a good approximation, they would kind of rank it, and then it would build its own reward model around that. Now. When that was built, there was only a limited number of people, humans, that were working on this. But 
when ChatGPT3 was released, we saw the number of users go from basically under a million to a hundred million in a couple of months. And not only does that is that the fastest adoption of any technology in human history, but the number of users which is giving human reinforcement learning. Remember, these learn from the human's feedback is actually helping it scale even faster. So in technology, we've dealt with what's called exponential growth in the past, right? You, you're familiar with Moore's law, right? It's that sure. the idea that chip speed and, and size decreases by half, chip speed doubles and the size decreases by half every two years. That's exponential. What we're seeing with the growth of AI is what's called titrational. And when you look at how an exponent- That is a new works, SAT word I didn't know existed. <laughs> it, 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 it's actually like a number that like humans, like you can't even define what titrational means because it's like taking, let's say you have two and then you have an exponent to like the third power. So that would be eight. Well, this is like taking two and then putting an exponent on top of the exponent every time it, it, it moves. So where, where is like, you know, you get two to the third power, would be eight, a titrational growth would give you something like 32 after one system doubles. And it, it it's like, we're used to things doubling in technology, right? And this is like 10 Xing every couple of months. So <laughs> ChatGP3, which was released in, in late last year, and this is kind of crazy, we're talking about this, was released in, in late last year. And, you know, it could do like the SATs and then it did okay on the medical exams. You know, three months later, they released GPT-4 and it was acing like the bar exam and and the MCATs, and now we have five and six probably coming later this year. On top of it that- It can do anything. I was just screwing around with it, playing with it, like nothing serious. And I said, oh, I bet this is, it won't be able to do this. Write me an epic poem in iambic pentameter about the life and basketball career of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That is so random, it won't be able to do that. Right. In, in like one second, boom, it had like an epic poem about the life and career of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So it, 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 it really can't do anything. So, so that's one thing. And it's kind of like, you know, a better version of Google search. But there's auto an exponentially now. better version. Of yeah, Google exponentially search. better. But it's still like, you know, it's not you look at that. It's not going to take over the world. It gives you well, like, I, actually I, I misused the word. It's not exponential. It's whatever that other word you used was Tetra something. It sounds like Tetris. That one. Yes. <laughs> so so auto GPT, which was released about a month ago, um, allows you to basically say, you know, I have one hundred dollars to spend and I want to build an online business and it will go through the steps and build the things for you. So that to me is what is truly transformational. See, whenever we have some type of new technology, some new general purpose technology, in the beginning, we weren't really sure like what it's going to be applied to. But as we go further along, we see how things are going to change. A great example is the steam engine. You know, the steam engine created basically a mania for canals in the United States because we thought we were just going to ship everything around on a boat. And, you know, we'd ferry people from one side uh, of the country to another. And, you know, they, they used ferries basically to get from New Jersey to New York back in the day. But then they realized when they were, they were, they were, they were mining coal for the steam engine, they, they, put, they built a railroad to get the coal out of the mine. And then they realized, wow, we can just build railroads. Well, this all is a lot better. We're not limited right. to where rivers are now. Yeah, we so can just exactly, crisscross the whole country. Yeah. Exactly. And, and this internet's a great example of this, where it's like it first started with email and, and you know text messages and very rudimentary websites. Now it's like you know the average American spends four hours a day 
on their mobile phones, accessing all kinds of things that we didn't even imagine were possible 20 years ago. So the same thing with AI is going to happen where it's like, oh yeah, it's cute. You know, it can write an essay for me. It can help, help your eight-year-old do uh, their schoolwork. But the impact that's going to have in business has not really been felt. And let me just give you an example of this. So 20 years ago, if you wanted to start a new company in the United States, you want to do something online, it probably cost about $100,000 to do because you had to basically build your own server, right? There weren't, there was no such thing as SaaS. You had to hire developers, uh, you know, you cloud, had to hire you programmers. Know. Yeah, you had to staff it with all these marketing people. So that was $100,000. 10 years ago, that cost was about $10,000 because you could do all these subscriptions as a service with software. Now, I would say $20 a month for ChatGPT or AutoGPT, basically having like your own social media team being able to plan out like you know how you're going to acquire customers online find the best place to advertise it and what that does in my mind in the same way as 2010 we saw a huge explosion in innovation in the united states that were basically built you know a lot of the mobile innovation came in 2010 with uh, uber and airbnb and doordash and all these companies are now are 50 to 100 billion dollars back then were basically just startups, startups yeah you're going to see that happen again here in the US because of the innovation that eight auto GPT will unlock, not chat GPT, but the idea that anyone, a 20 year old with an idea can now start a thriving business. If, you know, he brings it can quickly to bring and test an idea to market and if people like it, it immediately takes off. So this isn't even the future, man. This is now I, um, I don't recall. There's a sister of chat GPT that does graphics and I don't remember what it's called, but, um, Dolly I played around with it. Do there's a bunch called? of them. So there's Dolly and they're also, I think it might've been like, that one. I think and, it might've been that one. Yeah. yeah. So GPT is generative pre-trained transformers. It's that human reinforcement learning model, but there are other AI models like stability um, diffusion. Well, but, but listen to this, man. This is this is where it gets fun. Um, I, I have a friend who is the head of marketing for a major telecom company in Latin America. I'll I'll keep his keep him anonymous for now. But he was just playing around with 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 Dolly. Just just you know, mm -hmm. make me a cool. Uh, I don't remember what the exact phrasing he used. Yeah, basically, he asked it to make him a marketing uh, like a like a mascot, right? Like, like a new mascot for a marketing campaign. And it did. Mm -hmm. And the marketing campaign actually went viral and got written up in trade journals and everything else. And that's something that would have normally taken him and a team of, you know, probably 10 people, six months to bring to fruition. He did it at his kitchen table, just playing around, you know, it already like, like it's, this is not something that's happening like years from now. It's happening today. <laughs> yeah. So so there was a Goldman report that came out and I just I just want to make sure I quote it. It came out about three weeks ago, and it was the potentially large effects of artificial intelligence on economic growth. Um, and they said that despite significant uncertainty around the potential of generative AI, its ability to generate content that is indistinguishable from human-created output and to break down communication barriers between humans and machines reflects a major advancement with potentially large macroeconomic events. So this is like a fancy way of, of saying what I've been talking about. But some of the bullet points they brought up is that generative AI could raise U.S. labor productivity growth by just under 1.5% over a 10-year period following widespread adoption. Now, 1.5% does not sound uh, like very much, but 1.5% labor growth or productivity growth is basically, you know how we've had this like 2% kind of slow economy that just kind of trudged along in the 2010s. 
Yeah. One and a half percent labor productivity growth would take an economy that's only growing at 2% and give you about three to 4% output every year. And yeah, that's huge. Like that, that's and that is huge, you know, because what does that do in the US? Well, you grow 4% with, with low rates of inflation. Like you don't have to worry about these like fiscal problems that we're having right now, right? That's like 1990s good. You remember that like Goldilocks economy it, of the that's 90s? Exactly, when, that is yeah. exactly what they're referring to. So think of this as like, the new dot-com boom and how that economy grew in the 90s. I know everybody wants to say it was Clinton, but you know he obviously had help from the innovation that was being brought by the invention of the internet and communication back in the, in the 90s. So you know, I, I think that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about that. And it, it, it's going to benefit countries that have very strong rates of domestic consumption. So just to bring back to the point about China, is that when you can start manufacturing here things in the US again, for much cheaper than you were in the past. And you have the base of consumers here in the US, right? Because China has not invested in their consumers and their households like US has. Uh, it, it's gonna be a rocky road for countries that are basically suppliers of the world's goods and better for countries that are actually the buyers of the goods uh, like the United States and, and actually other well, parts of falling Europe. Costs. It well. means falling costs, which is great for consumers, not so great for the producers. <laughs> yeah, but I do think that there's going to be kind of a sticky transition, right? So you're not going to see inflation drop immediately. And with all this reshoring that's happening, there's going to be some costs associated with, you know, re-equipping basically your, your workforce and your manufacturing with robots and automation. There is that fixed cost. There's the initial investment it. that's very expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there is some threshold and, and it probably is going to lead to rates of inflation that that stay higher. And I, I do think the Fed, which has already had, you know, its eyes on 2% target is probably going to settle for some place around 4%, um, given like this huge reshoring transition that we're going to go through and it almost being impossible to get back to 2% without like a significant economic decline. So well, Ian, that's interesting. Let's let's touch on one thing real quick, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll land the airplane and uh, bring this to a close. Um, I do think it's interesting. So the demand thing, or not the demand, the the supply side of 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 China's problem. There's like the solution is in front of us. Like you're describing it. In fact, we'll we'll put a link below to anybody mm -hmm. that wants to find out more about about Ian's ideas here and how they can actually profit from them. He actually recommends stocks based on all this. So we'll put a link below. I find it the other problem is the demand side, where you have you know a shrinking population, you have fewer potential consumers to sell to. It'll be really interesting to watch how American companies pivot. You know, like their biggest growth opportunities over the last you know 30, 40 years have been to sell to this emerging Chinese consumer. Well, that's that's done. You know, it's not to say that China will not continue to get wealthier and you know people will. Yeah, someone who's kind of low middle class today might be upper middle class tomorrow and maybe may a potential buyer for your iPhone or your Nikes. But that bigger market is actually overseas. And it, it's, you know, potentially India, potentially even sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. It'll be really interesting to watch that trend unfold as well. Yeah, I think China, it's similar to Japan in the 1980s, right? So it got to a point where its growth just stopped and it was very stagnant for a while. They had to bring interest rates basically down to zero or negative just negative. to you know keep the economy moving in Japan. And, and I see very similar issues in, in China, especially with the with the with the demographic shift, with the graying population and you know, them not being able to replace the workforce and not needing to now that a lot of production is starting to shift away from China to other places.
Yeah. But listen, we track, all, we track all these developments in, in our services and we're always looking for, you know, that, that one company or that handful of companies that are really just in the thick of this mega trend. Um, so if you want to learn more, please uh, check out the links that we have in, in the email and, and, and subscribe. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Ian, I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, to all of our viewers out there, thanks for tuning in to the Banyan Edge podcast here. Be sure to tune in next week, same time, same place. And until then, go out and make yourself some money. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for having me on.